wheat actually had an identity, mm. right? You could talk about wheat as a varietal, like you can talk about um, your heirloom tomatoes, mm -hmm. and it could actually have flavor. Yeah. And furthermore, you could actually know the person who grew the wheat for you. This is the Modern Domestique podcast, where each episode focuses on a different aspect of modern home economics. It's all about exploring a way of life that enhances our community and environment from where it all begins, in the home. My main hope is that this podcast encourages a new look at what modern home economics can be, and that these interviews empower you to make modern home economics your own in your home and community. I'm Stacy Keating, and this episode is an interview with Mona Esposito, also known as the Grain Lady. On her website, Mona says that the Grain Lady is a resource for all things grain, in the field and in the kitchen, and it really is true. She has information about everything from how to grow heritage grains to how to cook with them. In this episode, you'll hear Mona talk about what a heritage grain is, and why it's important, not only to our taste buds and digestion, but also to our local community and farmers. If you are a home baker or pasta maker, or are interested in becoming one, this episode is for you. So if you could please introduce yourself. Okay, well, uh, my name is Mona Esposito, uh, otherwise known as the Grain Lady. Awesome. And <laughs> what is the Grain Lady? Who is the Grain Lady? Uh, the Grain Lady is a sort of an, if you think of... Um, if what you would ask the grain lady, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had a question about growing grains mm -hmm. or how to bake with grains, um, you would say, well, ask the grain lady. Yeah. So that's me. So I'm a, a resource, I'm a connectress, an educator, um, a baker, a grower, all those things. Awesome. Yeah. Um, how did you first get interested in starting the Grain Lady Project? Yeah. Well, uh, about three years ago, uh, well, let's prior to that, uh, I've always been a baker. I've always baked bread, and uh, up until about three years ago, I hadn't really thought about the main ingredient in bread. I hadn't really thought about the flour. Mm. I thought I had it all covered. I thought I had the organic <laughs> King Arthur bread flour. Right. I was like, great, <laughs> <laughs> I'm set. Yep. Uh, and then I'm not even really sure how it dawned on me other than that's my usual trajectory is um, to really want to know where uh, my food comes from mm -hmm. and to do it myself too. So I'm the person who had chickens in the backyard, I can tomatoes every summer, mm -hmm. you know, I have a vegetable garden, uh, I've made yogurt, like everything, I had the raw milk share. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because growing up in Brooklyn, you know, none of that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and But I grew up with an Italian mother who really, you know, came from a culture and a tradition of food. So I grew up in this funny dichotomy of, uh, you know, post-60s, so convenience and Pop-Tarts and mm -hmm. Lucky Charms. and But then I had this Italian mother from Bologna who baked, who made fresh homemade pasta mm. uh, and tortellini and lasagna and all those things. So I did have this underlining mm -hmm. influence. Uh, 
Did you learn a lot from her? Did you learn how to bake bread from her or different no. things? No. It, kind of all it on your just, own? <laughs> it was just there. Yep. You know, I saw it. I tasted it. I knew it was part of my culture and my tradition. Mm-hmm. I knew it was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew it was a way for people to come together, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there came this sort of light bulb moment where I was like, well, what about the flower? What's going on with the flower? Is this, you know, could, could there be more? Mm. You know, to, there's only three ingredients in yeah. bread, right? Yeah. Um, so I started digging a little bit deeper because the heritage grain movement was really just starting to take hold uh, mid, early, early 2000s, mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. mid 2000s. Um, and uh, so there, there was this slight awareness that there were these other varieties that, you know, wheat actually had an identity, mm-hmm. right? You could talk about wheat as a varietal, like you can talk about um, your heirloom tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And it could actually have flavor. Yeah. And furthermore, you could actually know the person who grew the wheat for you. Yeah. So all that had been missing. You know, now I talk about wheat and grains as kind of the final frontier for the farm to table movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and mostly it has taken so long and it continues to like take a long time is that the infrastructure that used to be in place for small scale grain growing, um, has virtually disappeared, yeah. right? Everything got modernized, industrialized, all small farms got bought up by bigger farms, mm-hmm. we have large monocrops, we have modern varieties. Um, so all the equipment, which is expensive, just kind of died out. Mm-hmm. And so all the processing, the harvesting, the cleaning of the grain, the millers. Yeah. I think we used to have 12 millers in Boulder County wow. 100 years ago. Wow. Now we have none really. I mean, we yeah. have bakers that are milling. Uh, and so, so with that came uh, this idea of like, okay, well, I want the wheat. How do I get the wheat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other people were growing it, right? But then you're like, okay, well, I have to have it shipped and someone else is milling it. Um, so that's when the idea came to try to restore a local grain economy to Boulder County. Yeah. Because we have amazing growers here, um, you know, in such close proximity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd always had a connection with the growers here and went to the, you know, go to the farmer's market all the time. Um, so we decided to found Noble Grain Alliance basically to kind of kickstart this heritage grain movement. Mm-hmm. And, and in the beginning, really, it was about going to growers and saying, um, you know, could you plant? Would you, want it? Would you be into planting an acre of wheat? Yeah. We'll give you the seed, which cool. is what we did the first year. Wow. And then by the second... And third year, um, we were sharing seed and using second generation, third generation seed from from trials and growths that were successful. Nice. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, did it take a while to get farmers on board with that? Like, were they pretty open to it? They were pretty open. Yeah. Uh, you know, grain is a cover crop also. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's good for the soil. Uh, and so a lot of, I mean, all of our, our growers, you know, they grow sustainably. So mm-hmm. crop rotation and cover crops are a part of what they do. So it wouldn't be a total wash, right? We yeah. gave them the seed. 
you know, it might be an area that was okay if, you know, they had some extra space. Mm-hmm. So they were excited. And, and a lot of them had already been thinking about it. They had yeah. already been thinking about adding grains um, as cash crops, not mm-hmm. just as cover crops. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we hadn't quite figured out the infrastructure. Yeah. Um, what exactly is a heritage grain? Mm-hmm. You know, there might be some people who don't know sure. what that means. Uh, so sometimes you'll hear heritage grain, sometimes you'll hear heirloom grain, uh, sometimes you'll hear ancient grain. So it's anything that's not a modern variety that's been um, bred for, for characteristics that are not related to nutrition and flavor. Mm-hmm. So if you think of the modern... Uh, movement or you know industrialization and the modernization mm-hmm. of things really was about uh high yield yeah right and so today we have these dwarf varieties that are bred they're bred to be small so that they can have lots and lots of seed heads and seeds on them and not topple over mm-hmm. right so with increased yield there's a reduction in nutrition and flavor so these giant monocrops you know they were really focused on something else yeah and they were focused on uh, creating varieties that could withstand the roller mills mm-hmm. which um, deliver a totally different impact to the grain than mm-hmm. stone mills uh, and that was so that the flour could be more easily refined mm-hmm. yeah and is there a different process to harvesting ancient or heritage grains versus um, the industrialized ones? Well, I mean, you, you need to combine. And, you know, depending on the scale, you could do it by hand if it was small scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, that part of the equipment is not the same. You still need that. Uh, the ancient varieties need, uh, after the, the threshing and the seed cleaning, or even before the seed cleaning, they're the ancient varieties are an extra tough hull. Mm. So it's not they're not they're not free threshing. It's not easy to get the seed out from the the outer husk. Mm-hmm. So that's another piece of specialized equipment yeah. that's necessary. So I like to to I say the word heritage and I don't know why, but when I over heirloom, but when I think of heirloom I think of something passed down. Mm-hmm. from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what it is. If you think of seeds and saving seed, you know, you're, you're picking seed, uh, you're selecting your saving seed for the qualities you want. Mm-hmm. For, it could be disease resistance, it could be drought tolerance, mm-hmm. flavor, nutrition. You know, when everything got really standardized, they, they stopped really doing that. Yeah. They took it into the laboratory instead of the field and were breeding for very different characteristics yeah Um, and then the only other thing that sometimes can be confusing is uh, you can think of ancient heritage heirloom and modern just as a timeline Mm -hmm. so ancient varieties are varieties that truly were grown in ancient times 20,000 40,000 years ago they were einkorn is the first wild Mm -hmm. cultivated wheat or grass Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the heirloom varieties could be 100 200 300 years things like that yeah and when when you say grain other than wheat mm-hmm. what would you be including in that 
Uh, well, I mean, we all know quinoa, mm-hmm. right? That's an ancient mm-hmm. variety. Uh, rye, those aren't ancient, but you can find some heritage varieties. Mm-hmm. Cool. So they had, I would say, you can think of them as having a character and a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess when you're talking about this, I can almost even like taste the difference between mm-hmm. those different grains. And then when I think of bread, mm-hmm. that's, you know, you buy at the grocery store or something, right? it kind of all tastes the same. So if you're a baker sure. and looking for heritage grains right. um, or heritage wheat, what right. would do, would the flavor change? Sure. Yeah. Depending on the type of wheat that you use or the combination or yeah, the type of the wheat, the combination, the flavor would, would change. Uh, texture could change Mm -hmm. Uh, now we are talking about wheat we're not talking about wine or chocolate or coffee (laughs) we haven't come up with you know a hundred (laughs) different descriptors (laughs) i mean it still tastes you know uh nutty grassy Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. like that Uh, but yes there's definitely flavor and a lot of that comes from not just the varietals but uh whole grain Using the whole grain rather than just the refined white flour. Mm-hmm. Because all the flavor is in the bran and the germ. Yeah. And so when you buy white flour, you're losing all the flavor and pretty much all the nutrition. Yeah. Um, as far as the nutrition is concerned, mm-hmm. um, is it just that the more refined flours and grains mm-hmm. lack nutrition? Or is it that the ancient and heritage varieties actually just have more nutrition uh there have been studies that they actually do have more nutrition Mm. Mm -hmm. even if you took both the modern variety Mm -hmm. you intact with the brand that you're compared to the ancient varieties Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's really interesting Mm -hmm. um are they more digestible too uh because we've been eating them for longer (laughs) mm, not exactly (laughs) what we've been doing for a long time is fermenting grains Mm -hmm. and as I'm sure you know fermentation in general makes things more digestible Mm -hmm. so uh, using a sourdough starter is one way it's really uh, the key to making bread and wheat more digestible Mm -hmm. wheat as a grain is not uh, it's not something that our bodies actually can digest easily. Mm. So let's not go, okay, well then no bread. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so gluten is not bad. I know, I was gonna, (laughs) that was on my list. (laughs) It's not, it's it's multi-leveled and you have to just understand um, that it's mostly the processing of wheat is what is making it difficult for people to digest and you know, is what's causing all this gluten sensitivity. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're eating a lot of quick processed food, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that you're buying a ton of like packaged white flour cookies. I don't really, you know, you don't have to go all the way down to that extreme. Mm-hmm. You can be really, you can buy this like beautiful pasta, right? Mm-hmm. But it's white flour, yeah, and it's not fermented, yeah, right? Or you can buy whatever is the most you know, uh, high-end whole wheat bread that you can find, but it's unlikely that it's in the store. You know mm-hmm, that it's being mm-hmm. uh, that it has a sourdough starter, or it's or it's being fermented for 
the time that really it takes it takes <laughs> to to pre you know basically it's pre digesting yeah uh, the proteins so, mm-hmm. so gluten is actually proteins mm-hmm. right so there's uh, protein in wheat and when you add water to it these gluten chains form right and that's what makes the structure really mm-hmm. for bread mm-hmm. uh, some of the ancient varieties like einkorn have a completely different genetic structure than mm. modern varieties. Um, and so some people do find that easier to digest. Mm-hmm. If you're a celiac, nope. you can't do any of that stuff. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, even in that case, uh, fermentation is really what it unlocks. It pre-digests and then that it unlocks um, all the vitamins mm-hmm. and minerals and really makes them more um, bioavailable. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was studying nutrition at the Nutrition Therapy Institute in Denver, mm-hmm. um, they would talk a lot about bioavailability and right. stuff like that. Um, and the fact that during the fermentation, mm-hmm. these you know organisms are you know are right. like eating and right. making the things bioavailable for you. Exactly. They're also creating more vitamins and minerals because that's that's part of their digestion exactly um to then make our body be able to eat it right better (laughs) right so there's lots of things going on Yeah, that's very cool. Um, so talking about pasta made me think of your Instagram account, which made me think of your workshops. <laughs> Good. I like, the, I like that chain of thought. Yeah, that's how my brain was going. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about what kind of workshops you offer? Sure. And so I, I never really came full circle to the Grain Lady Project. So about a year ago, um, I while still working on the Heritage Grain Movement, I saw that there was a need for education mm-hmm. just you know just the, the things we're talking about right now what is really going on can mm-hmm. I eat wheat mm-hmm. um, and if so what do I need to do to be able to to eat this every day and feel great yeah and to get the nutrition and to get the fiber uh, and the vitamins and the minerals and all those things and so one aspect of the grain lady uh, aside from being a resource is to hold workshops, so I do, um, and everything I do is 100% whole grain and fermented. Mm. So we do a pasta workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw that and started drooling, <laughs> which is how I thought of it. <laughs> uh, and we do the same thing. We add sourdough starter to um, pasta dough and let it ferment overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, I mean, the other interesting part is it doesn't just affect the digestibility and the accessing the nutrition but the flavor really mm. gets this complete other depth to it yeah uh, so the workshops are totally hands-on and we talk about all these things we're talking about sort of what happened to grain and what is a heritage grain and how do I get my hands on these <laughs> grains <laughs> uh, and how can I do this at home and you know should I get a mill and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then and we make the pasta and then we eat it yeah it sounds amazing (laughs) Uh, but you know I've seen that you also do bread workshops Mm -hmm. and um, and things like that which I think is awesome and then I also wanted to ask you said you know people were asking about milling their Mm -hmm. own Mm -hmm. Um, is there a benefit to milling your own whole grains at home is there a shelf life for Mm -hmm. heritage milled grains Uh, 
Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know that was too, actually. <laughs> I mean, the benefit, you know, the, the concept is when I talk about the whole grain pantry, I mean, the idea is to create this palette of different varieties of wheat that have different applications and different flavors and um, that you have on hand in their grain form and you never have flour in your counter. There's mm-hmm. no such thing anymore as all-purpose flour, mm-hmm. right? You have this beautiful palette that you can expand and you're in control. Mm. And so freshness, the height of flavor, the height of nutrition, that all comes from fresh stone milling. Mm-hmm. So you just, you know, you're like, all right, I'm making waffles. Let me see. I think I'll do some, I'll meal some uh, Hopi blue corn mm-hmm. and then maybe a little einkorn. corn. I really like the snore and white. You just get to play around. Yeah. Um, and same thing, you know, and then in a more practical way, you go, okay, well, I know that Kamut is a relative of um, an ancestor to Durham. Mm. And so I know that's going to be great in pasta. So I'm going to use that for sure. I'm always going to have that on hand. And maybe I'll mix something else in, or maybe not. I'll mm-hmm. just go straight with that. Yeah. So you have, um, on my website, I have this color wheel, back to the color palette. Yeah. Where you know you have your primary colors, and you know what their applications are. And you know, okay, if I'm making bread, I could definitely use that. But I could put some of this from this category in, this from the blue, this mm-hmm. from, to create different textures and flavors. Yeah, I love that. Because then you can really take, it into your own kitchen and like right. have fun with it without being too yeah. afraid of messing too much stuff yeah. and one of the main reasons uh that white flour became so prevalent was uh for shelf life for mm-hmm. you know as soon as uh, we had the railroads and things could be transported long distances uh you have to take out the germ because the mm-hmm. germ has all the oils in it mm-hmm. uh, for it to have a stable shelf life mm-hmm. so you could certainly buy whole wheat flour um, and you could buy heritage whole wheat flour and you would just have to store it in the refrigerator mm-hmm. uh, or the freezer yeah. for three months or something like that. Yeah, It's not like it's going to go bad tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But this way you just, you know, I keep, I have these big um, containers that have the grain in them yeah. and they're in the basement. So they're not taking up space in my pantry. They're not taking yeah. up space in my fridge and I just meal them fresh and you can take like make your own version each week of what you want that week to taste like exactly you can play around which is the really the fun part yeah yeah I think that's awesome um I know that you said that stone grinding is Mm -hmm. best I know Mm -hmm. that there are like KitchenAid attachments for grinders and things Mm -hmm. like that would those also do yeah I mean they're not stone ground but you know Mm -hmm. uh, mock mill makes a really affordable stone mill okay um and what's the benefit to actually the stone milling? The stone process? milling is that um, everything is really intact in a different way. Mm. Uh, I don't have a I don't I need, I don't have a great I there is a better answer. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> I can never remember when you started asking me scientific stuff. I'm like there is an answer to yes. this, um, and it's true. And it's true, uh, but I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious. So if someone's listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. and is like, wow, I really 
want to try and get farmers in my area to Mm -hmm. start trying to grow these things. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for them? Uh, Well, it's, you know, one way around that is to go straight to your local baker Mm -hmm. and say, hey, I really would love to see you making some bread with these heritage varieties, these ancient varieties. Yeah. Uh, just sort of letting every letting them know or anyone else who uses wheat that there is a demand. So you mm-hmm. have to start, you know, creating a demand and, and letting them know that that's something that you want. That yeah. you want the nutrition, you want the flavor. Uh, and then sort of connecting the dots that way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. For I sure. mean, you and and letting your you know if you're in a community that has a farmers market, absolutely go to the farmer as well, mm-hmm. because they might be thinking they might have already been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And if more people go and talk to them, they go, oh well, there is a little demand, and sure, I could bring that to market. Yeah, it is a little. It, I mean, it really is. Uh, it requires a lot of infrastructure. Mm. So although. You know, you plant the wheat and you you just kind of relax mm-hmm. until harvest time. Right. <laughs> it's not like tomatoes, right? Yeah. Where you need a lot of hands to harvest it, to plant it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not labor intensive like that. It's not human being intensive mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but it's equipment intensive. So the you know cost is really the barrier to mm-hmm. entry. Yeah, that makes sense. But you know, you just start the conversation, mm-hmm. and there. There might be enough growers that go, well, we could share some stuff or, uh, and then we, you know, we're right in the process of forming the Colorado grain chain, which will be a, a member trade organization that, that is going to keep going forward with the momentum mm-hmm. of building a local grain economy. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so that would mean for the whole state of Colorado, anyone could totally get involved in that. Exactly. Awesome. And hopefully it would be a replicable, mo- replicable model mm-hmm. for, you know, other people in other communities. Kansas. And we're not the <laughs> only ones, you know, right. uh, Maine has a great program, mm-hmm. uh, of growing grains and there's the Maine Grain Alliance, which is supportive of all the efforts, mm-hmm. um, other places I'm blanking right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then if someone wanted to start learning as a baker, someone wanted to start yeah. learning, say they aren't able or in Colorado to come to mm-hmm. any of your workshops mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. can you think of anything um, that any place that they could start like kind of looking into mm-hmm. that more for themselves baking with whole grains yeah yeah uh, it's tough you got to google around a lot <laughs> <laughs> no, for me it really took a long time to figure it out it's really hard yeah. actually there's not I say it's hard because there's not one book yet out there that is really a hundred percent whole grain mm-hmm. breaking. There are there are uh, resources like Peter Reinhardt has a great book, but then there's some things you, know, you just have to adapt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say you can dig around online. Mm-hmm. And piecemeal it together. And piecemeal it together. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so fun, but maybe motivational for someone out there to write a book. <laughs> True. It's coming. It's coming in little in little bits. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just a different mindset. Yeah. Uh, it's very approachable. I mean, I teach you know complete beginners mm-hmm. 
how to work with 100% whole grain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like you have to have mastered working with white flour. You just dive mm-hmm. in and, and, I mean, it's baking is all about practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting your, touching it, mm-hmm. seeing it, smelling it, all of it. I yep. mean, that's how you learn. And that's yeah. because it's always changing. I mean, that's the thing. One of the reasons why they invented bread flour um, is because it's completely consistent. Mm. It's not one wheat. It's a it's a blend of different wheats, mm-hmm. so that you can pick that up and have no problem making bread. It'll be yeah. consistent over and over again. Yeah. So. Yeah, with the same like, one day when it's raining, <laughs> it will right. be the same as the next day when it's right. like eighty degrees and dry out right. or something. Or think about if you all you know if you. Uh, got your grain from a specific local farmer, right? Mm-hmm. So your 2016 grain was, you know, it behaved a certain way because of the temperature that year, the water, all kinds of things, yeah. right? And you're like, I got this down. And then here comes 2017, <laughs> and you start working with it. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is really different. What happened in yeah. 2017? Uh but that's the beauty of it. I mean, that's that's the difference between being um, an artisanal baker, which you totally can be at home, yeah. and being a big industrial bakery that has to crank out uh, consistency like, mm-hmm. in large volume. Yeah, for sure. I totally see that. And yeah. I and that yeah, I I've talked on my blog before about you know community and like cooking yes. to create community, like yeah. cooking with friends yeah. and create having a connection because of the food that you make um right and I think that in a way too like if you're trying to make something at home that changes all the time and you really just have to kind of pay attention to it then you're also creating some sort of a relationship with the food that you have even if you didn't grow it yourself or mill it yourself necessarily or um you know if you just get it milled from the farmer's market or whatever um you're also creating a connection with something that's then gonna like nourish you and become yeah. you eventually yeah. 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 <laughs> which I think there's something big to say about that whole chain too right yeah cool well do you have anything else to add before we leave uh, that's it <laughs> all right well thank you so much for taking the time and I'll put all the links to everything in the show notes and Great. on the blog as well super thanks thanks <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Modern Domestique podcast, and a big thanks to Mona for today's conversation. I have links to the things we talked about in the show notes, and make sure to check out the blog post that goes along with this episode for more information, and links to fun things like the flavor wheel she talked about, and more. Up next in Season 3 is an interview with my local credit union, which might sound kind of boring, so you'll just have to trust me when I say that it's not, and you'll learn a lot. Uh, Don't miss out on this episode by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. And if you like this podcast, please take the time to tell a friend or leave a rating or a review in the podcast app of your choice so that other people can find it too. It really does make a difference to help others find this podcast. And as always, I'd love to hear about your takeaways from today's episode, so please make sure to stay in touch on the website, Facebook, or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in and have a very modern domestic day.